This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Welcome to the morning break with Graham Stanley on Teachers Talk Radio, speaking to you live from Mexico City. My very special guest today is Sofia Mavridi, lecturer in learning technologies and English language teaching at De Montfort University in the UK. We'll be speaking about digital pedagogy and teacher education, among other things. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Welcome to the morning break, everyone. Today's show features a conversation with Sofia Mavridi. Now, I've known Sofia for some time now. We were both, until not so long ago, in the IATFL Learning Technologies SIG Committee. That is the English Language Teachers Association, or the premier one in the UK. SIG is special interest group, of course, where she was coordinator and I the newsletter editor. It was there that she started a piece of research that has just been published by the British Council on language teaching experiences during COVID-19. And that features responses from 1,102 language professionals across 49 countries around the world, and which explores their teaching experiences at the height of COVID-19. We'll be talking about this and digital pedagogy and teacher education, of course. And these are just two of the highlights from our conversation. Just take a glance at her website, sophiamavridi.com, and you'll see her other professional interests are, well, they're very varied, from digital literacy to hybrid language learning and teaching, instructional design to online assessment, filmmaking, English for academic purposes, podcasting, and much more. Remember, if you are listening in, and would like to join me live, then please download the Podbean app, visit ttradio.org and click on listen live on the homepage. And this should take you directly into the show. There we can chat in the studio and I can also bring you into the show to speak. Once I've spoken to Sophia, I'll open up to any of you who want to call in. You can do that by pressing the icon at the top of the screen on the phones app. Click this and I'll be able to connect you. But I'll talk to you later about that as well. So I'll be talking to Sophia right after the Teacher Talk Radio News. But first, I've recently been listening to From Page to Practice and wanted to tell you about it. This is great if you don't have enough time to read all the edu books that are available yourself. And let's face it, who does? You get to hear from the author and then, most importantly, teachers tell you how they've applied it to their practice and you can try it out yourself. You can find it on all podcast platforms if you want to download some episodes for yourself. So look out for From Page to Practice. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources including webinars, podcasts, articles and events 
aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.weatherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Imagine a world where you were free to focus on sparking curiosity in your students and giving them access to the awe and wonder of learning. A world where you were supported to deliver a truly personalised education to help all your learners achieve their potential. No need to imagine it, because that's exactly what the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service delivers. Seamlessly integrating curriculum, resources, assessment, next steps and professional development, every component of Oxford Smart is connected and working to provide you with a uniquely coherent and responsive service that empowers you and your students with transformational effect. The Oxford Smart Curriculum Service. When everything connects, anything is possible. If you have a passion for education and a talent for teaching and learning, the Witherslack Group want to hear from you. Join them as they open an incredible new school in Essex and be a founding teacher of English, Maths, Science or Primary with multiple leadership opportunities available too. As Teachers Talk Radio partners, we know how much they care about the well-being of staff and their offer to you will be superb. To find out more and apply for a role, visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. Liz Truss, who is in the race for leader of the Conservative Party, has this week focused on education. Ms Trust, a former Minister for Education and Children, has repeatedly said that children are failed and let down by low expectations. She has pledged to drive up the quality of maths teaching and aims to give working parents access to childcare around the school day. Ms Trust has also stated that she will follow through on government plans to change staff to child ratios for young children, bringing England into line with ratios in Scotland. She said, my six-point plan will ensure our education system gets back on track by giving every child the tools they need to succeed. Through a laser-like focus on improving maths and literacy standards, we will make a real difference to children's lives. And by giving families greater choice and flexibility when it comes to childcare, we will also save them money. Families are now able to apply for a school uniform grant of up to £200 per child per year, depending on your local authority and individual circumstances. It is a government-run scheme and the grant is non-repayable. Andrea Knowles, a budgeting expert at vouchers.co.uk, explained that the highest grants available to families in England is £150 per child but this could increase up to £200, depending on personal circumstances. In Wales, the grant is up to £200 per child, up to £150 in Scotland, and up to £67.50 in Northern Ireland. 
However, only 27 out of 149 English councils offer this grant. So parents will need to find out if this includes their local authority. This can be done on the government's website. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm going to briefly discuss gamification as an idea you may want to try in the future. Gamification is when you design a learning experience in a way that resembles games that young people play. There have been lots of studies into gamifying and a quick internet search will give you some good ideas and further reading. Here I'm just going to present a few ideas I've found to work for me. Before you start, like anything new, you'll need to consider the extra time it's going to take to use gamification and decide whether it's worth it. A basic gamification method is to simply use a game as a theme for your planning. Using a game like Minecraft, for example, hugely popular with younger pupils, the phases of lessons can be split into sections and characters or places in the game can be used to present objectives. Putting this into an understandable scenario, in Minecraft you need 12 eyes of ender to create an end portal. For a topic over a half term, you create 12 challenges in line with your objectives. For each challenge do pupils achieve an eye of ender. Once all 12 are achieved, they can complete the portal and cross to the end. The downside of this is what do you do with pupils that don't get all of the eyes of ender? Will they be demotivated or do you make the content achievable for all? Obviously, you run the risk of not engaging all pupils, but that goes for any method you try. For older pupils, this could be based on a popular TV game show. In the past, I've based revision lessons on catchphrase. It took a lot of work to create images that represented computing concepts, but the lesson was fun and was just different. You have to remember pupils will sit through a lot of presentations in their school career, so a different lesson from time to time can be quite refreshing. Another idea is using badges. These are best applied to tasks that need to be done. For example, awarding badges for digital literacy needed to access content on your school's virtual learning platform, like a completing and uploading homework badge, a badge for responding to feedback. Badges can be made easily in a graphics package and are really a modern digital form of the good old certificate. If this has given you food for thought, I'd love to hear what you're doing or planning to do. Why not get in touch with your top tips at TT Radio 2022? Follow us and tell us what you are doing to gamify your lessons. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Welcome back, everyone, and hello to those of you joining me live in the studio. I can see Teacher Philly, aka Phil Longwell, there, and I'm hoping to talk to Phil after the chat with Sophia. Now, if you're listening in live, come and join us now for the interview. Hello and welcome to the morning break on Teachers Talk Radio, where today I'm joined by a very special guest, Sophia Mavridi. Sophia, thank you so much for agreeing to join me today. How are you and what have you been up to recently? I believe you're now taking a break from work, is that right? <laughs> Hi, Graham. Lovely to be here. And many, many thanks for the invitation to this Pleasure. wonderful radio show. Um, yeah, I'm very well. 
I'm not taking a break. Ah. Uh, <laughs> it's a very busy period for English departments, you know, at universities in the UK with um, pre-sessional uh, courses, etc. So I don't teach, but uh, I'm in the management team at the university where I work. And, um, you know, because our processional courses are mainly online, I work on the digital side of things. Of course. Yeah, um, yeah in terms of pedagogy, instructional design, uh, teacher training, assessments, and so on. So what I'm taking a break from is teaching and researching. So just a, a very short break until October. Of course. Um, <laughs> Of course, yeah. So you're probably busier than usual. So yes. perhaps um, we can start by uh, you telling me and the listeners um, a little bit about your journey as an educator. I know okay. um, that you're currently working for um, a university, but what got you interested in teaching and education and in technology? Okay, yeah, my journey. I remember, you know what I remember here that when you um when you were the newsletter editor for the ITEF and Learning Technology Seek yeah. and I was the coordinator, you asked me to write about my journey. That's right. And yeah, and so perhaps I should find this article and republish it on my blog <laughs> because Good I remember idea. how much I I enjoyed looking back. So yeah. So anyway, um to be perfectly honest with you, I can't re actually remember when I decided to become a teacher because um, when I was, you know, from a very, very young age, when I was a child, um, I would role play the teacher with my <laughs> sister and friends. So it's uh, it's something like, you know, I've always been a teacher. So I don't really remember when this decision happened to place and um, the funny thing was that when I was a kid and I was role-playing uh, the funny thing was that I enjoyed uh, being the teacher but uh, my sister and friends enjoyed it as well they loved it so and um, I think that what I realized was you know this amazing feedback that you get when you teach something whatever this is and the instant feedback that you get when you connect with people and um, uh, when people learn from you or that they love what you know you're saying to them or they hate it whatever so as teachers um, we always give a performance good or bad yeah. and <laughs> we get instant feedback and I believe the, that I've always found this uh, fascinating I, I I still do and um, yeah so that was how I started you know uh, thinking about uh, teaching and then as a young adult I studied of course and I started off as a primary and secondary school EFL teacher mm -hmm. in Greece, uh, where I'm originally from and I loved it I really loved it but after 10 years, um, I knew that I wanted to move on with uh, with my career and specialize. So I decided to do a master's degree in educational technology and TESOL with the University of Manchester. I think that you did the same degree as well some years before. Yes, yeah. I did. <laughs> or at least when I did it, it was the English language teaching and educational technology. So I, I think the, the wow. names kept changing, but 
it was basically yeah. the same course, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. So that was back for me. That was back in 2010. And I did it part time because I was working full time at the same time. And I think I made a very, very good decision because I could apply everything I was learning. Uh, and this is um, when my journey with learning technology started and I became a specialist in digital pedagogy and digital learning. And basically, I started not just using technology in my classroom, but also helping other teachers to use it in in a principle, you know, in a pedagogical uh, way, in a pedagogically sound way, uh, because I believe that this is when it makes sense. Yes, I was going to ask you this mm. idea of digital pedagogy and teacher education, for example, is, uh, is so important, isn't it? Yeah. And this emphasis on pedagogy that you've just mentioned when using digital tools is yeah. is really key if you're going to be using educational technology in the classroom. But um, how should teachers best approach this if they're, you know, if a teacher's new to digital technology and they want to use it for learning and teaching? Yeah. What's the best way of um, approaching, approaching yeah. it, Sophia? Yeah. So I think that... Um they should start and we should start as mm -hmm. as um, teacher educators we should start um by um first explaining what digital pedagogy is because some people may be uh, focusing on the digital part of the term you know digital pedagogy and yeah. believe that digital pedagogy has to do with uh, the technologies that we yeah. use in the classroom uh but uh i'm afraid this is a rather narrow understanding of the term. So uh, digital pedagogy, uh, first of all, the word pedagogy uh, and pedagogue, um, the word comes from the Greek words um, pedagogia and pedagogos, mm. which is um, pedi, they come from pedi, which is child and agogos, leader. And in modern languages, uh, because we're talking about ancient Greek, you know, here. Uh, in, so in modern languages and in modern English, I mean, pedagogy uh, is often described as the art of teaching. So it is a designed, it is a principal approach, principled approach uh, to, to, to teaching, to instruction, um, that it is concerned with uh, how, uh, for example, elements such as the aims, why do we teach? What are our aims, the content, the materials, the assessments, uh, the teacher education? Because someone is going to teach. So what is the education of this person? So can be so how these elements can be orchestrated to mm -hmm. facilitate learning? So digital pedagogy now um, is a systematic approach, not one. It can have many forms depending on our needs, you know, what we want to teach. Um, so it is a systematic approach to digital learning um, that definitely involves informed decisions about how people learn. And I, I, I you know, I am laughing now because it is about the informed decisions and not about the tools. It is about the informed decisions about how people learn when we use technology, when they use technology, uh, either face-to-face, -face, online, blended, or or hybrid for example some questions that now you know come to mind how can we use technology how the use of technology can facilitate 
my learning objectives? So this is a very, very important question that we should be asking. No, not what can I do with this tool? I have this tool and now how can I use it? But yeah. how, what do I want to teach? And what technologies can facilitate what I want to yeah. teach? Or, or how can or yeah? no technology as well? That's a, that's just as, as relevant a choice, isn't it? Absolutely. It is also a very informed choice. Why do we, we do we need to use technology if there is no need to use technology, if I can teach without technology? So uh, how can principles of digital learning inform the instructional design of my course? Because it is not, it is very, very important because teaching is not just practice, it's also theory. There is a lot of important work, you know, done and research and theories about how people learn. Uh, so we cannot ignore or overlook and just um you know restrict ourselves and our teaching um in you know with tips and tricks for example um so digital pedagogy is not about this tool uh, that we use and that tool so it is about linking the tools with mm, the learning objectives the theories of learning and using them uh, in a way that addresses our students' needs, whatever the needs are. Uh, so a teacher can use exactly the same technology, Padlet, virtual reality, or whatever the technology, and yet produce very different results, of course, if, yeah. you know, depending on the decisions that they make, how informed they are, how sound, you know, uh pedagogical decisions with regards to you know the context the technology was used the design of the activities the students preparation the assessment and so on so um so while digital pedagogy to go back to your question relies on technology because <laughs> we can't have the digital part if we don't have the technology um so technology i see technology as the means not the focus or the goal and of course we need to be tech savvy i'm not saying that we should not know our platforms and our tools not at all we do need to be tech savvy to facilitate uh, students learning but what students need are not teachers who know the technology, um, but teachers who know how to teach well with the use of technology. Yes. I don't know if it makes sense. <laughs> no, it makes total sense to me. I think you've um, okay. encapsulated it really well. Yeah. And I think what you what you said is is really interesting. And more and more teachers have so much so much they need to know about so much they themselves need to learn etc and i know that for example you're very interested in this digital divide and the need yeah. for teachers and learners to be uh, tech savvy digitally literate and yeah. in particular to be equipped with what has often been called 21st century skills yeah do you expand yeah. upon this what kind of digital skills for example that teachers need these days and what can they do to develop them yeah yeah that's uh thank, thank thank you very much for the question because uh indeed i'm very very interested and we have the so-called digital divide between those who have access to the internet and those who don't have access to the internet and yeah. devices um and of course the pandemic revealed showed that it is still alive it is still here um so the pandemic seems to have exposed 
existing uh, inequalities, existing divisions. And um, it demonstrated, it showed that certain groups were and are indeed more digitally excluded than others. And I believe that it is urgent that the education community and the broader community acknowledges and addresses, you know, um, the fact that uh, more than two decades, 22 years into the 21st century, some people are able to continue their education during disruptions, for example, to mm -hmm. take you know, uh, the pandemic as an example, um, and others, uh, while others are not able. But what you said is very important because uh, you uh, related it, you connected it uh, to uh, 21st century skills and digital literacies. And I have also written about the new digital divide, which divides not those who have access to technology and those who don't have access to technology, but those who have the skills and the literacies, the digital literacies to use technology in a sophisticated manner, and those who don't, because knowing how to use again so i'm going back to what i said earlier knowing how to use tools doesn't mean that i can use them well um, and this concerns both teachers and students for example the competence to live and work in a multimodal world where the offline and online uh, worlds you know merge so language teachers and students and of course, to teach the students, first we need to teach and train and educate the teachers. Uh, we cannot leave the teachers alone to find solutions in the same way that happened during the pandemic. Um, so language teachers and students need both competencies, the competencies and the mindset to uh, participate, to collaborate effectively online, to understand different genres and codes of digital interaction. We write differently, for example, when we put together an email and differently when we write the text. So we are talking about different genres of communication and there have been a lot of misunderstandings, how to use emoticons, for example. All these are linguistically very, very important. Um, how to assess source reliability and how to interpret this multimodal information, because this information comes out in so many um, modes. It's text, it's image, it's sound, it's video. So it's not just one form. And also how to create and how to critique digital content, not yeah. just how to consume it. So we are not just consumers of information we are creators but we need to have this digital criticality um, and for students to do that without plagiarizing and also uh, to be resilient and proactive when it comes to the reputational implications of having a digital identity it is not that simple I just open an account and everything is amazing and, fun and fantastic and I connect. There are implications 
um, reputational impl implications with regards to our brand, our digital identity, e-safety issues, etc. So to manage another, another now uh, very, very important um, literacy and skill to manage digital disruptions, because technology despite the uh, the amazing opportunities and i'm an advocate of technology and you are as well and we we both know that but despite the opportunities is it is chronically distracting us us and our students and research shows that with regards to what i mentioned you know all these competencies and skills mm -hmm. we have a long way to go in this regard so going forward um integrating these literacies in language education is is really really important regardless of the of the modality it is not just about teaching online we may be teaching face to face but technology is everywhere um so online face to face hybrid uh blended and there are a number of frameworks and very very good work you know with regards to digital literacies in language learning I think what you say about this new digital divide is so true. I've had yeah. the experience of of working in um, places where children have received devices, um, but the teacher doesn't ask don't uh, the teachers don't ask the children to use the devices because they don't want to use them. So yeah. even though yeah. every child has a laptop, for example. Yeah. Um, sometimes you find classrooms where teachers are using sort of paper notebooks, even though the kids have the devices yeah. and that's yeah. not because the kids want, don't want to use them. It's usually because the teachers are uncomfortable or don't know, or yeah. don't have the skill set to yeah. actually, um, make good use of the devices. And that is usually because either they haven't been trained to do so, or the training wasn't enough for them to be comfortable to be able to use the devices within class, for example. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. So Sophia, I would like to turn now to a new publication mm. that I'm very excited mm. about, and I really want to encourage teachers to download and read it. It's research, it's a research publication, and this is research you conducted with language teachers about their experience of teaching during the pandemic. And can you start by letting us know what prompted you to undertake the research and how teachers can get hold of the report? Yeah, so yeah, 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 I'm thrilled um, uh, that this open access research was published by the British Council Teaching English. So, and uh, people can find it if they go to Teaching English, uh, British Council website, uh, and go to the publications tab, it comes up as the first because it's it of was course, yeah i think very last, recently very recently <laughs> so so what prompted me um so when covid 19 uh, was declared a pandemic in march 2020 um i was asked because you know as a digital learning specialist i was asked to undertake a very important uh, responsibility at the university where i work and move all our processional courses at the university department, um, move them online urgently to ensure continuity of, of instruction. Of course, many other uh, digital learning specialists, we, we, we were all overwhelmed during the pandemic. And of course, we had the skills and the expertise, but it was 
still very, very difficult because everything had to happen very, very fast. We had to design the courses, the materials, because essentially we had to redesign the courses um, and do that very fast and train the teachers who were face-to-face -face teachers, etc. So this happened, you know, to me as a professional, but at the same time as... Um, as a social media, you know, uh, person, you know, communicating with teachers and communities of teachers online, um, almost everywhere I noticed that educators with no prior experience in online teaching were asked to move online and my social media uh, you know, was flooded with teachers' posts, desperately asking for help, not to me, everywhere, yeah. um, you know, to move online overnight. And it was all happening so fast and it was, you know, ad hoc, uh, you know, freely available webinars on how to teach on Zoom, educators forming Facebook groups and exchanging, you know, knowledge and ideas. And this was so interesting and frustrating at the same time. So I was thinking um, to myself and uh, I remember posting on social media, you know, as well, why are teachers asking for help on social media? are in their institution supporting them yes and this leads to a good this ad hoc experience leads to uh, a good learning experience for the students so it was I was I remember I was frustrated but at the same time it was all so interesting and exciting because never before had I seen the world of language teaching and ELT and education per se, being so involved with technology, you know, and I wanted really to dig deeper and know more about this new, this emerging approach, emergency remote teaching. So, and I was thinking, is it as bad as I think? So how do language teachers from all contexts and continents, not just Europe, not just the UK, uh, how do they feel? What support, what support do they need? And this was how my research project was born at the height of the pandemic. And it received um, more than 1,000 responses. And that was ex extremely exciting. And as I was reading, I remember, you know, during the first stages of the analysis, as I was reading the responses, because it was a mixed methods approach, so it was both you know, a questionnaire, but also teachers could write their experiences. And some of them came up with really, I mean, made very long contributions. And as I was reading these responses and analyzing the data, I could really hear the teachers' voices, their fears, their excitement, their struggles. And this emergency remote teaching, um, you know, started uh, to take a clearer, shape in my mind but also in my heart because I, I felt so close to these teachers so basically I wanted to understand the phenomenon of emergency remote teaching and teachers experiences during this phenomenon and I'm really really grateful that so many teachers trusted me with their lived experiences during um you know such a phenomenal time for the world of of education and that's why i wanted this research 
to be open access and be returned to the teachers. That's that's so good, Sophia. I think it's so important what what you've done and you know to try and help everyone understand what happened and get insight from the teachers as well. Um, that perspective from what the teachers really found they what they found difficult or challenging, what they how what they learned, et cetera, et cetera. There's so much in it. Yeah. Um, that I really recommend uh, reading it. Um, so what, if we come to the main findings of the research, I know there's no substitute to actually reading it, the report, of course, but what do you, what do teachers find most difficult to cope with? Or what do you think um, sort of jumped out uh, for you from, you know, if we're looking at an overview of it? And then yeah. also, what do you think should happen now um, yeah. How can teachers be better prepared for future disruptions? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, de definitely. I mean, I already uh, talked a little bit about some negatives, um, but uh, it would be um, wrong to not say that this period was phenomenal it has been widely acknowledged as a time of innovation and change because language teachers basically and managers not just teachers showed you know incredible determination resilience they embraced yeah. new modalities of teaching so many think that these experiences uh, during COVID-19 can signal new opportunities so online and blended teaching is here to stay. Others admit that they are now more receptive to change and innovation. So all this should be celebrated and their uh, findings of the research. Uh, however, it also identified a lot of gaps, you know, lack of adequate preparation, training, ongoing support, and this affected the experiences negatively. And I remember it is worth saying here because I remember from the first stages of the analysis, there were some things that were shocking. Uh, so we're talking about 1,102 valid responses here. Yeah. And um, it was like a, an emotional punch in the stomach because out of these teachers, the 91% of them had never taught online before. Uh, very, very few received substantial training to transition online most of them didn't receive substantial training some of them didn't receive any training uh almost half of them self-organized their own training via you know webinars available online some of them were good some of them were not good as we know um 64 percent said that they didn't have ongoing training and support because yes emergency remote eating had to happen so fast and teachers to move online and maybe some things are understandable but what about the ongoing support so no support for 65 percent of these teachers so all this is shocking and it should not be um it should not be forgotten and um now when we come to um the the difficulties, the challenges, there are many challenges that um, teachers had to deal with. Mm -hmm. uh, but I would say, uh, because you asked me, the highlight 
and I think it makes sense for language teachers. So this is, you know, particularly related to teaching a language um, online. So teachers, but we need to remember that we are talking about the 90% of them were face-to-face -face teachers that were asked mm -hmm. to teach online. So they found engagement very, very challenging, engaging um, students. So, and they thought that, and they expressed openly uh, that the lack of, you know, physical proximity and embodiment can have a negative effect, a negative impact on teaching a language, uh, because they found that it can affect authenticity, communication, bonding among class members, etc. But in the analysis, and people who will read the report, so in the analysis and in the discussion, I, I discuss this finding. And I say that this finding is understandable for face-to-face -face teachers to identify engagement. For example, you're looking at me and I understand that you are engaged but this doesn't really mean that you are engaged so when we teach uh, face to face um we tend to identify engagement with embodiment uh, mm -hmm. because this is what we are trained to do you know because the face-to-face -face teacher uses all the paralinguistic features and the direct feedback you know so basically teachers struggled with engagement not because online learning cannot be engaging but because during emergency remote eating they were not trained to engage students you know online there may, and, there may yeah. also have been distracted by having to deal with the technology that they weren't familiar with as well so they didn't focus so much upon the students as they would in a face-to-face -face environment things like that as well i suppose absolutely absolutely and this can be distracting of course it can be distracting because they had to juggle they can they they they, they had to do many many things in very little time um but what is interesting to to note is that it should be argued that authenticity and communication are not exclusive features of the physical world yes so i think that it may be inaccurate you know to suggest that in an increasingly digital and interconnected world that digital communications are not authentic and that we cannot produce authentic authentic language and that we don't have authentic opportunities but understandably as i said face-to-face -face educators are trained to identify engagement through embodiment um so it's it's base it base it basically uh has to do with what i mentioned earlier uh with regards to preparation and training and preparing the teachers to these new modalities um and not just you know asking them to find out how to teach and how to adjust face to face uh pedagogies online and in the same way assessment both formative and summative was very very challenging yes. uh, teachers were asked to assess students with the same criteria that they assessed the students in the face-to-face -face classroom so there were considerable gaps you know institutional gaps that had a negative impact on the teachers and the teachers were saying but 
we are using a different modality. How can we assess the students in the same way? Um, so yeah, that was very interesting as well. Yeah, there's so much to it, isn't there? I think, um, you know, it's a fascinating subject and I do recommend yeah. everybody um, reads the report because there's so much uh, um, interesting reflections there based on the data that you collected. Yeah. And yeah. what one of the, if I can turn now to, as the schools started to open again, we have this yeah. other phenomenon, which <laughs> was a result of the staggered return uh, of yeah. students, but yeah. without the pandemic actually having finished and some yeah. students were um you know they they were forced to be at home etc so this move to hybrid teaching which i know that you've also um yeah. thought a lot about reflected on and, and actually lived through as well yourself yeah. i think so what do you think about this idea of hybrid teaching and um could you first of all i think i suppose we should start with a definition of it because it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people yeah it's true yeah. isn't it yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. So hybrid teaching, uh, and this is, you know, uh, the the definition that I, I, I use when I refer to, to hybrid uh, teaching and hybrid learning is when you uh, teach face-to-face uh, -face and online cohorts at, cohorts at the same time. So this yeah. hybrid. Um, so, and I think that approaches and methods exist because they reflect needs um, and I think that hybrid teaching and hybrid learning although it is not new it's been around for years yeah. but it became popular because there was a transition stage uh, where some students could attend in person and others couldn't because of lockdowns so uh and i'm not going to sugarcoat hybrid learning uh can be a great approach if it is yeah. designed in a systematic way uh, but if not it can be very very challenging for for the face-to-face -face teachers because let's not forget i i tend to remind that um we are talking about face-to-face -face, uh teachers here and the teachers might be teaching three years now, but they're still, their educational background, the way that they were trained was to teach in a face-to-face -face classroom. And everything that they learned, and I'm not talking about everyone, I'm talking about the majority, um, is uh, through this ad hoc approach that was very, very innovative, very, but at the same time, uh, we cannot expect that these teachers has, have all the, the background and the theoretical background. So we're talking about qualified face-to-face -face teachers. So it is very challenging for the face-to-face -face teachers um, and overwhelming, I would say, uh, to uh, teach two modalities, uh, with very little preparation um, and to teach two modalities so what happens um, can be really really very can be really difficult uh, for example uh, we have online students who may feel second best mm -hmm. fewer opportunities for meaningful interaction just passively attending, or we have instances where the face-to-face -face students are feeling second best because the teacher troubleshoots, trying, you know, to accommodate the face-to-face -face, uh, students. Um, so then hybrid learning 
so this 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 is a problem here uh, to ask with minimal preparation a face-to-face -face teacher uh, to teach two modalities at the same time then the hybrid this hybrid modality needs the technical infrastructure cameras built-in microphones so that the sound is not you know is good is of good quality etc so um and I would say above all we need hybrid pedagogies it is not just putting together the online pedagogy um, and the face-to-face -face, face -face pedagogy uh, together you know in the mix but we need hybrid pedagogies for both cohorts and technologies to support this so that the online and the offline are not two separate modalities but yeah. they form a coherent whole but for this to happen we need people with spe specialized knowledge to train the teachers to facilitate the teachers and formal expertise so we can't say that the teachers um, are challenged okay yeah they're challenged but how can they be supported uh, is it is it enough to give them one hour training and two hours training and expect expect them to juggle uh, two modalities no it's not um there's so much isn't there that you, you have to take into account with this because it's it's what you said it's not just the pedagogy as well it's it's the technology I mean it's not just it's not sufficient for a teacher just to open a laptop and have someone join a zoom room it's where you know if that happens what you said it's what about the sound is the teacher moving about where is the camera pointed is the camera pointed at the teacher yeah. is the camera pointed at the other students in the room does the teacher address the students on the camera or ignore them? Um, is there a kind of way of setting up a camera and microphones in a in a space to be able to allow proper, um, you know, so they um, uh, can be heard, but also, you know, systematically, yeah. how is the material um presented and the board work there's so much to take into account is that absolutely and we should not place all the responsibility on the teacher i mean it's mm. not fair it's about the systems the institutions uh, the managers the policy makers to adopt a systematic approach but so it's yeah. also a very it's a very interesting area though isn't it because if it was organized well and the teachers were well prepared yeah. and there was a lot of thought and reflection who that's gone into it in particular imagine for universities i imagine Absolutely. in particular it offers a kind of modality of attending lectures or or even tutorials that would be very interesting and more inclusive for a lot of students who Absolutely. who Absolutely. can't attend for whatever reason yeah yeah exactly so and i think that there will be a need um because you know for the reasons that you said uh and it reflects real life as well because more and more companies embrace hybrid working modes and where the offline and online you know uh working modes merge into one 
mode. Uh, we see that many companies, for example, don't have physical offices and people um, work online or they might meet, you know, some of them work online and some work um, on site. And all this merge into one mode, one ecosystem. So we need to teach in a way that reflects 21st century needs, just in the way that we were educated. But for this to happen, as you very well said, education systems need to approach it in a more informed way and bring in the expertise and be happy to invest in technology, in teacher training, in ongoing support, not just leave the teachers to sort out everything on their own. Uh, so hybrid learning, I think, not I think, I'm sure, can combine the best of both worlds. But I'm afraid that what we see at the moment may be the worst of both worlds. It would be really interesting for <laughs> someone uh, to identify really good examples of it and yeah, and and turn it into some kind of guidelines or whatever, wouldn't it? I think yeah. that would be a very interesting thing to happen. Yeah, and um, this is this is all fascinating. Sophia and I could I could speak for hours and hours uh, with you about yeah. this there's so much uh, we could we could talk about but I'm going to I'm going to leave that subject and turn to another um no, another topic that I know is is very dear to you because I know uh -huh. you've been invited you're very generous with your time and uh -huh. knowledge and you've been invited to speak at lots of different events um yeah. both online and in person um on the some of the subjects we've been speaking about today and lots of others as well i mean i think it's, it's fascinating just the range of um yeah. interests you have in this area and so what i'd like to do is to ask you to tell us about a recent event that you've spoken at that yeah. you thought was particularly special or and what it was that made it so enjoyable or what it was that you know yeah. made it that you got a lot out of it <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah, I love face-to-face -face events, which may come across as a surprise because um, I'm an advocate of technology and in all fairness, I think that online conferences can be amazing with regards to learning and reflection. And when it comes to learning, I don't think that I would like to attend, you know, face-to-face -face events anymore, but mm. uh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Because, I mean, of all the traveling and the environmental impact of traveling as well. So I'm not saying that online conferences are not here to stay and that I don't like them because I think that the learning that occurs may be even better because you're not that distracted, you know, from <laughs> networking and, you know, all the other things. But I have to say that I love face-to-face -face events uh, because there is something magical that happens when teachers get together face-to-face -to -face and are able, you know, to combine learning and professional development with socializing, with dinners, with parties, with sightseeing, sightseeing you know, um, friendships are formed. Um, yeah. It's that so socializing aspect, isn't yeah. it? That's really difficult to replicate online. No matter yeah, how, how much you try. It is, it is. So, um, yeah, so the latest event that I gave a plenary at was on the island of Crete, you know, mm. in Greece. And that was the first Mediterranean symposium in ELT. And it was hosted by Tissel Greece, 
and um, you know various uh, Mediterranean theatre associations participated. So oh. apart from the learning. Um, you know, it was a bit of a holiday, networking, socializing, fun, good food, you know, sea swimming. Oh. And then another event before the pandemic that I'm sure <laughs> you know about uh, was the very last conference that I attended, face-to-face -face conference that I attended uh, and participated and gave a plenary at was B-Belt, organized by, by uh, British Council Mexico. And it was just amazing to connect with so many teachers in in mexico and make new friends yeah yeah i th i i agree with you i think um i find that i'm less inclined like you've just said to attend face-to-face -face events i think yeah. um i've got out of the habit of it uh yeah. and it's certainly something that i don't i don't expect to attend many um in the in the future but but there is something about that buzz about being with other people in a yeah. physical space it's why people go to the cinema as well isn't it yeah, you get a absolutely. thrill out of even yeah. if even if you're sitting in the dark in the cinema with with lots of other people and you're not actually talking to them there is this yeah. sort of energy that you get from watching a film in a exactly. collectively yeah 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 exactly absolutely and uh yeah b-belt was fantastic i mean i as you know b-belt the annual conference that um, Mexico, British Council Mexico ran, has now become a regional online only event. Yeah. And yeah. there are lots of good reasons for that and lots of benefits that um, I think uh, they get out of doing it that way. I mean, it becomes more inclusive to a, yeah. um, it's it's available to a lot more people than it would be otherwise. So I think yeah. there are, the benefits far outweigh the 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 things that they lose but I know there are lots of people in Mexico that are very disappointed that we're not planning on holding it face to face in the yeah. future both yeah. my colleagues and and some of the teachers who uh attended but um oh. yeah but I I think it's quite interesting how there has been a kind of shift for conferences and events I think this idea of well actually you can before the pandemic I think there was this feeling that you can't really run an online conference over yeah. a sustained period of time and then expect people to be that attentive or engaged in it was the feeling. But I think that's all changed, hasn't it? And and I saw yeah. this week that Braz Tissol, the big English teacher association mm -hmm. in Brazil, have now their face-to-face -face conferences every two years. And they've decided that every other year they're going to run an online annual event. Oh, which is fabulous right. news that's a really interesting that's way of doing it i think so not quite a hybrid event yeah. so not happening at yeah. the same time as for example the tsol annual conference has been yeah. for the last couple of years hybrid i think yeah. um but this idea of one year face-to-face -face, one year online which i think is, yeah. is really good and i'm going to definitely attend that. i didn't know that that's great just that's been announced mm, fantastic excellent so um moving to the end of our conversation unfortunately i think which we have to do um and wrapping it up um yeah i'm going to ask you when sophia mavridi isn't working what does her life look like <laughs> okay uh, my work is a very very big part of my life but yeah. when i don't work i love traveling i love reading and when i say reading i mean 
fiction and literature that is not related you know to education because i yeah. do a lot of educational reading but i consider this part of my work so yeah basically i love you know the little things in life that are not little at all you know taking long walks by the sea or along the river relaxing at home with my loved ones uh, eating good food and sometimes good food and traveling especially to to greek islands <laughs> fantastic and i know yeah. that you and i also have something in common that we're animal lovers i have two cats <laughs> Yeah. And I believe you have another little furry creature uh, yeah, in your life. My, Hector, my little Hector. Yeah, he's a Maltese and I love him so much. I love cats. Um, I wouldn't say that I'm a dog person exclusively. I love yeah. cats. I find them adorable. I love how independent they are. Um, but, you know, I love my Hector. <laughs> of course, of course. He looks very cute as well. Yeah, he's very cute. <laughs> so, Sophia, thank you very, very much for uh, speaking to me today. I've really enjoyed our, our talk and catching up. It's thank been a great you, pleasure. Thank you. thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you. Hello and welcome back uh, to you. Thank you, Sophia, for uh, for that. And I would like to speak to Phil now. Phil Longwell, are you there? Speak to me, please. Hello, Phil. I know you said in the studio that you didn't have a microphone. I'm presuming not a plug-in microphone, but you do actually have an ability to to actually speak to me. Um, I think um, perhaps if you refresh the the browser or the app, come in, go out and come back in again. I think that would help. Um, you want to try that? And we'll see if that uh, that allows you to talk. It would be great to to speak to you to catch up. Um, Phil is in the UK as well. Um, he knows Sophia and myself. We both collaborated in the in the teacher association that uh, we talked about during our conversation. And Phil has been very recently reviewing reflective essays on the impact of the pandemic on students learning which is something i'd really like to talk to him about phil are you there i'm here hello it works ah, so, yes so obviously going out and coming in again or switching off and switching on and going into classic yeah, it's that reads. old classic isn't it the old classic you try yeah. turning it off and turning <laughs> it on again yeah we had this before IT when we had joke. this before didn't we yeah yes well it's good to, to be able to speak to you how are you sir I'm very well. We we spoke not that long ago, didn't we? That's right. It's true. And um, can you tell me as much or as little as you want to, to talk about it? Um, I'm fascinated at this idea of you reviewing these essays on student essays on the impact of pandemic on their learning. I'd love to get a little bit of insight into um, it's very relevant to what the, the research report that Sophia um, has just published. What kind of things do you, have you been reading about in student essays about this impact on the pandemic? Well, um, I mean, I've I'm, I've got Sophia's report open at the moment, and and one section where she looks at part B of her findings, where she's got a lot of qualitative data 
from what teachers said about her, their experience of the pandemic, well, I'm now dealing with a lot of kind of qualitative essay writing uh, in my new role as a study skills tutor because I get nurses, midwives, social workers, um, people doing sports and health sciences, things like that. And they have to do a piece of reflective writing as part of a module where they reflect uh, on their learning over a period of time. And if we're talking about learning, then they're reflecting on how the pandemic impacted their own learning. So a lot yeah. of students that I'm seeing at the moment, we're coming up to the end of the academic year in the UK, and a lot of learning for the, not the last year just gone, but the previous two years were significantly affected by the pandemic. And now they're writing about it. Now they're writing about their experiences, you know, not in hindsight, but looking back and going, well, how, how did it impact upon them? So it's very interesting because I, I see students from different faculties, different uh, schools, um, mostly nurses, I'd, I'd have to say, mostly nurses in training. And they have to do a reflective piece of writing where they talk about how they've learnt, what they've learnt on placement, uh, and what they would do next time. Wow. Nurses on training, I imagine that they have a very particular um, story to tell about how their studies have been affected, especially those on placement. It must be, uh, they must have been under a lot of pressure. Yeah, well, a lot of them, are, never mind the reflective learning uh, assignment, they've also experienced firsthand on placement what it's like to deal with COVID uh, and deal with yeah. patients with COVID, working in a hospital setting or a care home setting where this was obviously dominating because people that got COVID, certainly in the early days before there were any vaccines, you know, that these hospitals were, were, were where it was going on, where, where people were being exposed to uh, this dreadful disease and um, so they're writing a lot of them coming writing about the topic of COVID and, and the pandemic over and above just the actual experience in terms of learning or being a university student and and how they feel they have kind of not got the full um, value for money as it were because you know doing a, a university course in the UK costs a lot of money uh, yeah. and um, you know so lots of disgruntled students who feel, oh, I haven't really got my value for money because I haven't had face-to-face -face lessons. Um, it's all been done on Teams. Yeah. Yes. Yes, that's a kind of curious thing, isn't it? Because I imagine it's more it's mostly about expectations, I would imagine, that the expectations of a student um, of what kind of experience they're going to get um, and that whole experience of actually physically being at university, being with other students in the same space, the social aspects, as well as having this, uh, you know, contact with tutors and lecturers, etc. I think is 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 has been the the situation. You know, their their experiences they've been thwarted. They haven't had the experience that they expected. Mm. So that's kind of interesting. I mean, I know that Sophia wrote extensively or reported extensively on teachers' perceptions of and experiences of um, having to teach online and how it affected their well-being and mental health. There's quite a large section uh, in, in the yeah. report about that. Um, I've gone from looking at teachers, because you know I did my own research and my own yes. post about the mental health of language teachers during and post-COVID-19, which I published last year on my blog. Uh, but now I've kind of shifted my focus back towards the learners, back towards the students, because I'm a part of a student-facing service. Of so course. it's less about the staff, it's more about the student experience, but helping them get through their university courses 
in in a small way by helping them with their you know looking at their essay writing and giving them guidance and advice on structuring essays or whether they're mentioning the nursing and midwifery council code enough in their essays or making enough critical uh, evaluation of of things rather than just describing so yeah it's i'm loving this new role that i've got and also the you know just being exposed to the different kinds of learners different kinds of subject areas that they're writing about sometimes i don't know what they're talking about <laughs> sometimes it's quite technical <laughs> of <laughs> but, course but sometimes it's about mental health sometimes it's a, literally it's about mental health um, and I'm like, well, you know, I'm I'm getting paid to <laughs> review an essay about mental health, which is one of my passions and always has been. Yeah, it sounds like it's a very appropriate uh, role for you to do, actually. Um, and one that must be fascinating and very enjoyable. It is. It's very enjoyable. Um, I keep pinching myself and God, am I really doing this job? <laughs> it's, like, yeah, it's a permanent job. As I, said, as I said to you last time we spoke, you know, it's a permanent job. And also... Uh, it, it's very rewarding and it's got variety within it. So, yeah. Excellent. I'm really happy that uh, that it's working out and that you, you have that role that you're very happy with, Phil. That's really good news. Um, so what about the summer in the UK? Are you taking any any leave or is are you working all the way through the summer? Well, the past couple of years, in fact, four of the last five years, I've been doing a pre-sessional course. Uh, I think Sophia mentioned in her interview about doing pre-sessionals at Dear Montford. And of course, I started, my very first pre-sessional was at Sophie's, Sophia's Institution of Dear Montford in Leicester. Um, I didn't, I was terrible. I was not well. Uh, I was okay. very anxious. It didn't work out for me. And they let me go after five weeks. <laughs> anyway, I subsequently had two years, uh, two summers in the UEA in Norwich and two summers uh, in the University of Sheffield. And they were both fantastic experiences. Um, so this year, no, um, I'm not at Sheffield. I'm I'm in Preston and I work throughout the summer. I've got a couple of days, a couple of weeks annual leave coming up. But other than that, I'm I'm working through the summer. Yeah, I mean, but I think um, that that's fine, isn't it? I think you you have um, uh, a rewarding job, and, and I think uh, that makes all the difference. So, what else, Phil? What have what have I, what else have you been up to um, recently? I know that you've been. Um, I think I've seen that you've been celebrating uh, Kate Bush's. <laughs> renewed success for example you're a big kate bush fan which i think it's it's fascinating to see how something from the 80s has had that sudden resurgence isn't it well i didn't know you were going to ask me about kate bush but um <laughs> just <laughs> trying to yeah yeah to surprise teachers, you teachers talk radio <laughs> diversifies into um of the best course. female singer songwriter that has ever been um yeah obviously i fell in love with kate bush not it literally you know i figuratively fell in love with kate bush when i first saw on top of the pops in 1970 one of many one of yes, many i'm not That's alone in that, not alone uh, in that respect and of course her classic album the hounds of love 1985 was her i i feel coming to realize her full potential because i think her first four albums and the first six or seven years she was just exploring working things out just you know working out what she can get away with what she can do um and she was always been a trailblazer and ahead of the game and something like running up that hill which i bought the single running up that hill in 1985 when it came out uh not the album hence today i eventually i eventually got the hounds of love on cd um but i've still got the single 
And um, I recently went to see the best Kate Bush tribute band that there is around, and that's Cloud Busting. And I saw them perform at the very appropriately named Bush Hall <laughs> in Shepherd's Bush in London on the 1st of July, where they did Running Up That Hill as an encore, um, as well as Cloud Busting. They always finish with the song Cloud Busting, also from The Hounds of Love. And it was on the very day that Stranger Things episodes eight and nine of season four were released. Uh, and we get to know what happens to Max and the rest of the uh, the gang in Stranger Things. So getting one of your favourite TV shows and one of your favourite uh, singer-songwriters, artists of all time, merging them together in the same place, it was just, uh, it's just been a crazy time. Uh, and seeing Cloud Buster, um in July was just uh, one of the best gigs ever. Fantastic. Excellent. And then the other thing... There's a couple of videos on YouTube, uh, one of Wuthering Heights and one of um, of Babushka, if, if you look on YouTube. Great. Uh, and one of the one of the other things I wanted to talk about um, was I've seen that I've seen that, um, and then I think we should probably wrap things up because we've gone over the hour. But it's been great to talk to you. But I think I've seen on on social media um, that you've been very much involved in doing quite a lot of interesting physical activities um you've been running and you've also been um exposing yourself to very cold water for the sake of charity i think do you want to talk a little bit about that because that's uh that's fascinating i'm really um i it i should be encouraged to do exercise after seeing all of that uh <laughs> it's something i really need to uh to do but uh I don't know. I never seem to find the time. That's my excuse anyway. So what about you? How, how have you got into doing all of this? Well, as a radio show host, Graham, you could have nicely segued from running up that hill of into course. me ah, running. Yeah, opportunity. Oh, well, next time. Running up that hill uh, into literally running up that hill. So I've been run, I've been walking for ages. I've been I'm doing walks. I'm near the Lake District, so I've been doing lots of rambles recently. Great. You know, sometimes 10, 15, 20 kilometres by myself. Um, but last Saturday I did my first park run. Now park runs are done the whole of the UK in parks, in cities around the UK. Lots of people do it. I never have. I think I might have done one 10 or 15 years ago, but I can't exactly remember where it was and I wasn't registered. Yeah. So I did my first one last Saturday. I'd had a couple of glasses of wine the night before and a pizza. And I don't think I was in the best physical form for this first park run. I went up that first hill, literally, I was running up that first hill and I got a headache. <laughs> oh dear. So I need to do a bit more training and yeah. keep, taking, keep taking the cold showers, which I've been doing for the whole of July, raising money for Macmillan Cancer support. And um, yeah, just continue to look after my physical health because I'll finish with this. Our physical health and our mental health are so entwined um, that if you take care of the physical health, it so positively impacts on the on the mental. Anyway, it does mine anyway. Oh, I... I'm sure it does. I think um, they're both very, very important to 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 uh, to anyone's well-being. I think definitely. That's really good to hear what you're doing for Macmillan Charity as well. And it must be quite a stimulating experience. Um, how often and how many cold showers have you have you done? And then I will definitely wrap it up. <laughs> yeah, wrap yourself up like after you've had a cold shower. Keep yourself warm. Um, yeah, I've had cold showers at least one cold shower every day for the last month. 
uh, sometimes two. And it, I've been very fortunate they chose July, one of the hottest months on record in the UK, yeah. to do you know a cold water challenge. I, I didn't really think of it as a challenge. It was a, a blessing to, to get into a cold shower on a day when it was 35 degrees. But ice cold baths, I've never really done ice cold baths before with ice cubes. That's a new thing. Um, so, yeah, I probably won't keep doing the ice cold baths because uh, the... You know the period of fundraising has has finished, but the cold showers. I've I've read a lot about cold showers. I've read a lot about cold water therapy, uh, and at this university they put on a session which involved actual cold water treatment, where the delegates. I mean, you've never been to a conference before where you have to strip down to your swimming trunks and um, get into a cold ice bath. And yes, uh, that's a conference wow. I went to recently, <laughs> <laughs> which was uh, a bit of a, an eye opener and a yeah. Um, and I've been watching Wim Hof on BBC, a programme called Freeze the Fear. Uh, that's all been about taking celebrities into northern Italy in the cold and plunging them into icy cold water and seeing what their reactions are like. So really into the cold water stuff now. Uh, and I know our good friend Catherine Billsborough has also taken up running and he's also interested in this as well. So shout out to Catherine as well. I'll finish that. Yeah, shout out to Catherine. That, that's great, Phil. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you as usual. And I'm really happy that you were able to join um, join in. Thank you very much. Um, and I hope you enjoy the rest of uh, your summer and whatever cold showers or cold baths you do. Okay, thanks, Graham. Bye. Thank you. Bye, Phil. So that brings us to the end of today's morning break. Everyone, thank you very much to my special guest, Sophia Mavridi, and to Phil Longwell for joining me at the end there for a, a good chat. Remember, there are Teachers Talk radio shows all week. And the next show is, I think, with Lucy at 7.30 British summertime today. Join me again next week at the same time. Bye. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.